Yeah. Yes, Jake. I just want to dig into that a little bit more on the COVID relief. This will be your third time. My third pet time when I asked about COVID relief? Yeah. Well, it's substantive. You like substantive questions. So I just yeah, well, while people are dying in the Ukraine and all of that, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. I don't, um, I think we need all the money we can get to have the resources that we need to fight COVID. Uh, the last thing we need is another variant. We have to address the Putin price hike, uh, gas hike. Uh, it has, uh, since he started amassing troops earlier this year, uh, we're doing everything we can to minimize the Putin price hike at home. You'll all have had this experience. It's very exciting for everyone else around you. So people always ask, oh, how's it going? And it's such a difficult question to answer. Like, how are you supposed to actually describe the feeling of being in love using language? It, uh, it doesn't come anywhere near the truth. At the beginning, I used to attempt to use analogies. So people would say, oh, how's it going? And I would say, oh, it's like I've always been a plant. But I used to be in a garden centre or a supermarket on a shelf, and now I'm in the garden. <laughs> and um, you can't say that to people. <laughs> I've learned that. So now what happens, people go, oh, how's it going? And I say, fine. And, um, but then my friend the other day, she said, well, you don't seem very happy. And I said, yeah, that's because I'm not with him. I'm here with you. And... <laughs> Apparently, that's very rude. And my friend really told me off. She said, actually, Sarah, it's very important that you stay in contact with your friends. But why? I've got him now. And then she said, well, what about if you break up? But if we break up, then I'll kill myself. So I still don't need you. And we live in a society that considers any relationship that doesn't last until your death a failure. And that's what really concerned me. At the beginning with my boyfriend, when I realized how happy I was, I started worrying that we would break up one day because all of my previous relationships have finished. And I don't want that to happen. And what I found out is you shouldn't worry about the ending at the beginning. It ruins everything. And it's illogical. It's like giving birth to a baby dressed as the Grim Reaper. <laughs> It's like turning up at a job interview and going, oh, what's the point? If you don't sack me, I'll quit. <laughs> and so that's why I was thinking about other couples. I thought a lot about Adam and Eve, because they, of course, were the original couple. And yeah, sure, at the beginning, it's all magical. It's all staying up late, counting each other's ribs and laughing. <laughs> but over time, the magic fades. He's boring. She's off talking to wildlife and comfort eating. And then their landlord kicks them out. One of their kids kills the other one. And if they can't make it work in paradise, what chance have I got in Lewisham? If you watch the news or the popular media as a, um, as a primary source of information, you know, in your worldview might be very fear-based, you know. And there's there's a certain level of fear that they that, you know, 
that the system needs to keep in, inside of people to keep them participating in a certain type of way. I mean, the first response to fear is the cathartic expression of consumerism. So when people get too nervous, they got to offload it in some way. So that's what the entertainment experience is about in a lot of instances. The consumerism experience is about this is the most important video I've ever made. And it begins with the realization that you were always meant to be poor. Now I'm not talking about poor by the standards of the great majority of human history. I'm not talking about the poverty of child soldiers in East Africa or starving North Koreans. No, you were meant to be poor in a very different way. You are the end result of decades of selfish and unwise decisions made by selfish and unwise leaders. You live a life of seeing YouTubers giving away millions to other millionaire YouTubers. You look at all these billionaires going into space wondering how is it possible? You spend every day struggling to pay the rent, the bills, the debt. Prices keep increasing, taxes keep hiking, while your income is stagnating and your time is wasting. Living in dystopian citadels with transient inhabitants squabbling cheek by cheek for space, where your only free time is spent being shuttled on a grindy, slow, packed public transport through a dangerous urban sprawl, where you go home with just enough energy to mindlessly watch a drip drip of lethargic, empty entertainment, where any moment without the next dopamine hit is a moment wasted where you wake up in a pod and go back to work for the bidding of your corporate slave master. Only for you to repeat the same cycle every day of every week of every month of every year. But it doesn't have to be this way. There is a formula, a mindset that will allow you to escape this trap. By the end of this video, you'll understand the subliminal mindsets and insidious indoctrination that has stunted your development. But the thing is, this won't be easy. In fact, this video will require your total engagement. It requires learning some ugly truths that our culture hasn't told you yet. I know many of you will click off because of this, but for those of you who know that this isn't the life you wanted, those of you who want to escape, those of you who no longer want to watch life from the stands, those of you who don't want to live through other people's stories, if this is you, then escaping this trap will change the trajectory of your life. At the end of this awaits a life that has been taken away from you, but if you're ready for this, then we need to start peeling back the layers. We definitely felt overworked and underappreciated. Honestly, Joey was working so many hours every week that me and the kids just kind of did our own things. And unfortunately, what are your true passions? What do you want to get out of life? What motivates you to get out of bed? These are the questions you were never asked in school. Instead, you spent most of your life sat behind a desk, learning to be mediocre, waiting for the next break, the next ring of the alarm to escape. The problem is that by living this lifestyle for most of your developing years, you were taught to never value your time. From the start of your life, your time was wasted at every second of the day. And with so much boring, mass-produced, phony education being droned at you all day, your only salvation was to waste even more time at home, time that should be spent playing with other children, being embraced by your community and following your passion. But instead of this, you spent your entire days learning forgettable fragments of education. In fact, this time is so pointless that unschooled kids left alone with no education catch up completely with school children at college. I think the way we do schooling is much more about daycare and it's also preparing kids for the wrong things. I mean, eight hours a day, nine hours a day in a, in a little group prison camp where you're sort of, you have to raise your hand to go to the bathroom and they tell you how to think and how to behave. That, that this is, it's terrible. By being accustomed to this life of never following your passions, this life of never valuing your time, this life of unfulfillment and conformity, 
your mind starts to become lazy. The ambition and drive to follow your curiosity has been crushed, so you become undisciplined. Why would you want to put yourself through the pain of constant work, practice and routine if there's no payoff at the end? What's the point of struggle without reward? By subconsciously adopting this mindset, you start to become devoid of passion and curiosity. Instead, you most likely turn to fake instant gratification passions. Passions like video games, Netflix, social media, and vaping. This is why we live in a generation where almost everyone needs some sort of life coach or therapist to tell them what to do. Because our education system has taken away the driving force that allows us to follow our destiny. We don't have that force, that burning desire to achieve our goals and become disciplined. So then you may be asking, how do you escape this mindset? What makes the elite so different? Well, truth is, the rulers of our society have always had a very different life than you. From birth, they resided on the other side of the city. They stand in the fast lane queues, they watch sports from the skyboxes, they eat different foods from you, and they went to very different schools than you. They went to schools where they were actually given the time and attention to develop their innate special knowledge. They had the time and freedom to pursue their curiosity. They were trained to become disciplined. They were indoctrinated into knowing that they would be at the top. They don't even need to do that well in school. They don't need to learn boring subjects they don't care for. Instead, they learned to value their time and follow their passions. And from there, they were given very easy access into esteemed universities like Harvard and Yale. That's why almost all the elite's children go to the best universities. Chuck Schumer sent both of his children to Harvard, Obama sent one of his children to Harvard, Hillary Clinton's daughter went to Stanford, and Al Gore sent four of his children to Harvard. But for normal people like you, you'd have to be the brightest and most talented in your school to apply. And even then, you'd only have a 3% chance of acceptance. And yet, somehow, almost all the leaders can send their children off to Harvard, who show no sign of talent in anything. And so you see, it's these differences in education that begin to shape the growing class divide that we see today. It's why our leaders can no longer even understand the lives of the majority. And in 2022, these differences are beginning to have catastrophic effects on all of our lives. It's in these next chapters that you'll soon understand why you were never supposed to be rich. So fast forward a few years and let's say you're a regular office worker. If you live in America, your average yearly wage is probably around $50,000 a year. You probably also work 40 hours a week and work 47 weeks a year. That means that you spend almost all your waking hours, all your most creative years, all your energy working to survive the next day. You have slowly become just another cog in the rat race. And by virtue of your schooling years and adopted mindsets, you were never meant to escape by design. As I mentioned earlier, you were taught to devalue your time. You were also taught that work is supposed to be boring and handed down to you by a teacher or boss. However, by being accustomed to this way of thinking, you're destined to be poor and miserable. Because in reality, the time you spend working has no real correlation to the money that you make. If you have a corner shop, for example, and you're sweating and tiring it out, restocking shelves, ordering deliveries, talking to customers, spending all hours of the day working, you're only achieving a fraction of what the other side are making. And the sad fact is that because you've never acquired the specific knowledge needed to provide value, you can be replaced by anyone. With this understanding that you can be replaced at any time, you continue to work day in and day out, neglecting your physical and mental health and losing your only life on this earth. As much as people like Elon Musk like to claim that they work 100 hours a week, the truth is that almost no human on this planet can work more than three to four hours a day. And I'm not talking about shallow work where you procrastinate for almost the entire day. I'm talking about what Cal Newport describes as deep work, where you devote your pure, undivided attention to a certain task. Almost no wealthy, powerful person does any more real work than this. And yet you're still
slaving your precious time to make just enough to continue this dreary lifestyle. And this isn't a surprise since you've never been taught any other way of life. You've built up a lifelong habit of only working at 20% of your true capacity. You most likely waste six hours a day watching things that you don't care about, looking at posts that make you feel empty. If you're wasting 20 hours a week, you're wasting thousands of dollars worth of your time. If you're wasting 20 hours a week, you're wasting $50,000 a year. And you are doing that right now. So we've established the reasons why your life has been so restricted. But even still, why is this problem so much worse today? Why are we seeing the anti-work movements become so popular? I mean, the education system hasn't really changed in decades, and yet people are poorer than they were before. In all other years, people's wages grew relative to their country's economic growth. So why is this no longer the case? And even more importantly, why is our society now being throttled into such a downward spiral? Well, stick with me here, as things are about to get a lot more interesting. So by this point, you should understand that through your adopted mindsets from school, you've been conditioned to live a miserable life, a life without freedom. Instead of inheriting your father's trade, using your specific knowledge and time, you now work for someone else, you rent from someone else, and you have nothing to show for it. You work for corporations that have amassed more power than countries, while you yourself have no power where your subconscious outrage and despair is buried under an avalanche of cultural drivel. Shelling out most of your income to live in a pod in a polluted megacity. Living in soul-destroying, alienating, unaffordable, decadent, deteriorating metropolises. But the question is, how did things get this bad? How did the average American wage stagnate, while the top 1% has accrued more wealth than at any other time in living memory? Well, at this point, it goes way beyond just education alone, because we have all been abandoned. Abandoned by leaders who abandoned the masses vital education and upbringing, abandoned by leaders through their reckless actions, through quantitative easing, money printing, and inflation. Over 40% of all US dollars were printed in 2020, which is why you might start to notice that life has become a lot more expensive. I mean, the total money supply has increased by 336% in the last year and a half. This is money that is printed out of nothing. And this is new money that is dilating the value of every existing dollar you've earned. And the truth is, the situation is far worse than these numbers might suggest. In the last year, crude oil is up 55%. Used cars have gone up in price 32%. Beef prices have risen by 21%. Lumber up 35%, wheat 37%, sugar 33%, corn 39%, palm oil 43%, coffee 108%, Oats 114% and rent? Rent prices are up almost 23% in New York. Rent has almost tripled in California. In London, the mega-rich Qataris own more property than the Queen of England. It's so bad that for property to be affordable in London, the average worker's wages would need to increase by 266% just to catch up with inflation. It's gotten so bad that there are literal poor doors, also that the rich no longer even have to look at the poor. That's why we're at a point where a literal cupboard under the stairs costs you almost $700 a month to live in. It's why shared pods with no privacy, no doors, and no ownership will cost you $1,200 a month to live in. Depressing, crummy apartments that attract nothing more than crime and degeneracy are the new homes for the masses. With all this inflation, with all this wage stagnation, it's absolutely no coincidence that we see the rise in cryptocurrency and NFTs. People are gobbling up as much Bitcoin as possible as a final refuge against this unprecedented inflation. People are buying up as much magic internet money as possible because our currencies have become valueless. And this is a sign of impending disaster on a societal and personal level. With massive inflation, with no home ownership, no community, this is what keeps you oppressed. You can't rise up in a society when the rules of the game are no longer 
either. There is no such thing as a quality of opportunity when the game is rigged against you from the start, and none of this is an accident. Family is freedom, property is freedom, community is freedom, and at every second of the day, this is slowly being taken away. These days, fridges clean their water dispenser with UV nanotechnology. The Home Depot carries a wide assortment of all from you. Our entire economy has become centered around a crony capitalist system that eviscerates the family, leading to misery, atomization, and existential despair. Don't just take my word for it. The Brookings Institute found that falling male wages led to a 20% reduction in marriage rates. When jobs shut down, marriage rates plummet. And at the same time, testosterone, sperm counts, and family are all crumbling into dust. Because by this point in our globalized, atomized, depressed, and lonely society, the elites no longer care for their population. They no longer care for the servant class. That's why wealth inequality is rampant. That's why we're seeing the end of the middle class. The backbone of democracy in Western civilization is being desecrated, which is why the majority of households now qualify as low-income households. So the currency has been inflated to hide this deep-rooted economic problem. And at the same time, everyone is atomized, depressed, and lonely. Because thanks to the complete failure of hypercapitalism to enrich our lives with any purpose or meaning, we have to cope with all of this by numbing ourselves on drugs, liquor, and turning to the rope. But at least you can get the next Starbucks pumpkin latte, the next gadget, the next pill. At least you have the freedom to be a soulless shell of a human being. At least you have the freedom to slave away at a corporate job to make ends meet. At least you have the freedom to waste your life watching an endless loop of nihilistic, barren distractions. All of this is happening because America and the UK now live in a new class system. No one likes to mention it, the media ignores it, YouTubers run away from it, but it's the ugly truth. From the get-go, the rich have lived lives unfathomable to the majority. They have adopted esoteric mindsets that have allowed their curiosity and passions to thrive. They have been given the keys to the top universities that serve as a membership club into the elite. They have been given the resources, funds, discipline, and specific knowledge to generate wealth. And with this wealth, they have secured their freedom, they have secured their meaning and happiness. And most importantly, they have never lived in your shoes. They've never seen the life of the masses, they have never been through state education, they have never been to the factories, the average universities, the meaningless low-paying corporate jobs. They never lived in the pod and the dangerous urban sprawls that defy modern cities. In any normal society, this would have forced change in the status quo. But in our society, political parties have now merged into one, all merging into the same carbon copy replica of one another. There is no longer any healthy political discourse. Lawmakers, journalists, and business CEOs are all in the same group. The elite's disconnection is then only further catalyzed by their isolation. The ruling class have become so insulated that their failures are just openly ignored. And it's no exaggeration when I say that this is how great civilizations collapse. Great civilizations collapse when the leaders work against the interests of the people. And you? You're on the losing side of all of this. From the beginning, you were never meant to be wealthy and fulfilled. The sad truth is that you're just another statistic in a corporate bureaucracy. A statistic with no money, no savings, and no family. But on a personal level, you can escape the situation. You don't have to live like this. This whole situation changes when we each take on personal responsibility to attend to ourselves and community. If you want the freedom to raise a family, the freedom to escape corporate hell and reinvigorate your psyche, you must begin to see work as play. You must decondition yourself from all these 
toxic mindset sealed into you by state education. You need to build up the slow habits that will instill in you discipline. You need to cut out the sugar, cut out the lethargicness, the constant social media drivel and calm your mind. You need to reject the toxic junk that is continually stuffed into your psyche, constipating your creativity and potential. You need to play the game being played against you. Because when you embark on a path of freedom, you become dangerous. And when enough people begin to take control of their lives, this will foster radical improvement across all of society. It's just when you've been numbed into flaccid apathy on a collective level does society become so stagnant and unequal. The formula to reform, the formula to freedom, the formula to happiness boils down to this. Health plus wealth plus good relationships equals happiness. Focus on these three things. The things that have been destroyed in our society, destroyed by our leaders, destroyed by big tech. And I assure you, you will escape. A lot of the European uh, involvement in Africa has been based on the premise of when we come in, the only way we can be comfortable is if you're more like us, you know, and less like yourself, or some version of yourself that is acceptable to us. And um, that's nonsense. One of my homies from London was with me. I was just nice. I was like, shit, it ought to be all this shit that they done stole. Yeah. From, you know? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You go to the pirate's house, of course, this shit is laid out. You know what I'm saying? You got everything that evolved from niggas. It's just sitting around. And uh, I mean that's that's from F, from the food to the to the power to the gold, the gold to the chocolate. You know what I'm the, saying? The you know, all of the chocolate. Yeah, the, 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 the architecture. The, everything. Art. Um so yeah, I mean, you know, without Africa, you know, Europe is in a, in a the world is in a condition, you know. People gotta say themselves, man. You know, it's like, what do you value? It's a real priority to um, What I do notice about Europe is that, I think the thing with Europe wins is that focus is not on being rich. The less focus on money and more of a quality of life. Now, people need money. Money's important. I ain't gonna act like you know, Europeans have a logic fair attitude toward money. It's not at the center of their life. It's a means for them to be able to enjoy their life and primarily be time with their family and friends. That's a big part of what you see outside of America is that people want to make money, but they're more, more concerned with doing things that they care about and spending time with people that they care about and enjoying life. When I was little, I, I wanted to be a stuntman. I wanted to be a skateboarder, an astronaut. I wanted to be in a remake of The A-Team. All I want to do now is to sit in a comfortable armchair in a darkened room and just breathe. <laughs> Everything else has gone by the wayside. Right? Well, having seen the A-Team remake, I have at least dodged one bullet, right? <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've learned so much from them. I, I, until I had children, for instance, I had absolutely no idea that there is no stronger substance known to man than Weetabix and milk once it's dried. <laughs> that stuff is absolutely astonishing, isn't it? It's sort of beyond Araldite, you know. <laughs> Men's shoes with it. Bridges, possibly. <laughs> I mean, they're very keen to learn. They're always firing questions at me. Where do babies come from? Absolutely no idea. Seemingly no way of stopping it. You know, I can't... <laughs> can't 
work out what the hell's going on down there. Honestly, I, I have absolutely no control over them whatsoever. I, I, in about four and a bit years, I've accrued, I think it's fair to say, basically no parenting skills whatsoever. They give me the total runaround. Some people say it's like herding cats. It's worth it. It's, 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 it's like trying to get a Hewlett-Packard printer to work. I mean, you've paid out all this money and it <laughs> doesn't do a single bloody thing that you ask it to. It's a... It's a complete nightmare. They give me the total, total runaround all day long. They leave me on the very brink of sanity. And it's only at the end of the day when I could not be more shattered, more exhausted, more stressed. That is when I have to leave the house and come out to work, right? All, all to fund the milk-saturated lifestyle of my infant captors. <laughs> I mean, I would do anything for them. Of course I would. Absolutely anything. That's what, that's what being a parent is. Being a parent is essentially having Stockholm Syndrome. You know, just, <laughs> just hopelessly in love with the very people holding you hostage. <laughs> I mean, I've had to change the way I live my life. Of course I have. I've had to calm down. I'm sure you can... Well, I'm sure we can all remember the old rock and roll me. Um, <laughs> bit crazy for a while back there. Um, well, I certainly used to read more. <laughs> People whose friends have had children, they, they look at them sometimes and go, God, they've really changed, haven't they? They've, they've, really, they've really mellowed. They, they haven't mellowed, they are broken. <laughs> oh, he's really calmed down, hasn't he? He used to be so ambitious, he's much calmer now. That's really, Of course he's not ambitious anymore. There's simply no point in being ambitious anymore. What is the point of dreaming about Hollywood if you can't even finish your bloody muesli before lunchtime? <laughs> it is not possible to finish your muesli before lunchtime now because the entire morning just consists of being interrupted. When, you, when you've got that many young children charging about the place, you get interrupted so often that eventually the interruptions themselves start getting interrupted. You know, <laughs> desperately trying to clean all the milk off the floor after breakfast, all the food that hits it at lunchtime doesn't splash, and then someone opens up the freezer and gets a bag of peas out and starts spilling them all over the floor, you know, <laughs> desperately trying to sweep them up, and then someone ominously shouts, I'm painting from the hallway. You know? <laughs> run out there, find they've got hold of a loo brush and are just rubbing it against the walls. <laughs> it is a quarter to six in the morning. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, haven't I got myself worked up into yet another state? Um, <laughs> I do wonder, actually, in retrospect, if I haven't slightly underplayed the work that our nanny does. Um... Somewhere on this train is a nice little Spanish family. Nice little Spanish family. They've come to Europe on their summer holidays, haven't they? Because they've seen the Olympics. Yeah, let's go to London. Because we told them, didn't we? Oh, come to London. We all wear matching tracksuits and we help each other. Do come, do come. <laughs> now they're seeing the truth. This is London now. They're on this train terrified. And they booked the tickets ages ago, didn't they? And gave them to the kids at Christmas. Here you go, Javier. Here is your Christmas present. <laughs> Perfectly serviceable Spanish accent. I ain't changing it. Just because you, you are frightened by performance. <laughs> You've put me out of character now. Hang on, I need to get back in. Eh, nachos. Right, I'm back. <laughs> Don't let me lose the rhythm. Don't let me lose the rhythm. <laughs> Here you go, Javier. Here is your Christmas present. Oh, what did he? What did he? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'll tell you when I stop laughing at your voice. <laughs> <laughs> this summer, we're going on our holidays to London Town! 
Town. London Town. That's right, London Town. But when we get there, please don't speak out loud because people will laugh in your face. <laughs> London Town. London 2012 Olympic London. London 2012 Olympic London. But we're going there in 2013 because it's cheaper. <laughs> an apartment, he's on the edge of the city, so every day we wake up, we have some breakfast, we get the train into town, we go to Buckingham Palace, we watch a show, you can stay up late every night, and we get the last train back to the apartment in the city of London. Fuck it, like, don't swear. <laughs> they're on this train now, seeing for the first time what London is really like, and they're going to go back, aren't they? And their friends are going to say, hey, how was your holiday in London? They're going to say, let me tell you. <laughs> Something about London. Did you get the train in London. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you get the train in London, everybody she's puking and shitting and crying. Eh, <laughs> puke you! Don't worry, you puke me, man. I piss you. <laughs> you have to swim out of the train. <laughs> and my friends are gonna say, Jesus, why was everyone so drunk? Was he the festival or something? They're gonna go, no, it was the sunshine come out. <laughs> The doctor did. You spend your time um, in a way that you really don't respect, and even if you get money out of it, you fuck up that money. You don't really respect that money because you, 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 you know you feel the urge and the impulse to reward yourself and get some pleasure at least. Like I had to do this bullshit to get this bag, so now I'm gonna go have fun with this bag. You know, you don't really, you know what I'm saying? You don't really treat the bag with respect. McDonald's is like a cancer that grows in our own demise. Since the 50s, McDonald's has spread across every city of every country, making the McDonald arches the most recognizable symbol in the world. More recognizable than even Jesus Christ, an anonymous sign of the times we live in. But the truth is, this trend isn't stopping anytime soon. In fact, McDonald's is projected to grow another 10% in 2022 alone. But why? Why is McDonald's growing so fast when our economy is crumbling? I mean, economists are projecting that we're facing another wide-reaching recession. Businesses are seeing their profits plummet. Workers are seeing their wages stagnate. And yet somehow, McDonald's, a company with many cutthroat competitors, a company that's been shrinking, a company that only sells fast food, is now seeing their profits soar. And this isn't an anomaly either. During the 2008 recession, McDonald's actually saw higher sales, with the company opening up 600 new locations. So what's behind all of this? How is McDonald's growing so fast? And what makes the McDonald's arches the new global religion? Well, the more you try to answer these questions, the more sinister things truly become. So let's start simple to understand this whole picture. Volkswagen. McDonald's doesn't just make a fortune from selling burgers alone. McDonald's makes its money from real estate. $53 billion. This is the value of all McDonald's real estate, making it one of the largest commercial real estate owners in the world. And this allows the company to expand into every town and city through franchising. 
It's why more than 85% of its restaurants are owned by someone who pays a fee to license the McDonald's name and brand. The deal being that McDonald's knows the precise ingredients and locations that make money, building up its property where most people go to work and school, usually setting up shops at intersections between two high traffic roads with traffic lights and parking. McDonald's then leases their location through a franchise agreement where all the details behind McDonald's cooking, the ingredients used, the menu, the opening hours and pricing is firmly controlled. The tenant wanting to operate the restaurant pays an upfront investment and then a 4% fee on gross sales and a 10.7% of sales towards rent costs. So then why are people agreeing to such tight requirements? Because they know it's a safe investment. Because they understand something. They understand that they will be making bank from workers in their commute and hungry, easily influenced children. But then why does any of this actually matter? Well, the thing is this business model is only good for so long because as the times change and we learn about just how damaging fast food and sugar is, we move on. When people learn more, when people are happy and healthy, McDonald's crumbles. And when less tenants want to buy McDonald's property and less people want to buy McDonald's burgers, McDonald's shrivels up. In fact, this has been the case for the last decade. Over the last 10 years, McDonald's has seen its company begin to shrink. In 2015, McDonald's closed more restaurants in the US than it opened. This hasn't happened since the dark age of the 70s, with McDonald's claiming it would close 700 locations. And then in 2020, the company was in its fifth year of declining sales, again closing more stores than it opened, all while competitor businesses like Subway were continuing to grow. But then suddenly a virus happened, the economy was shut down, people's incomes collapsed, depression ensued, anxiety rates doubled, and McDonald's profits began to soar. So why was this the case? Well, simply put, McDonald's is recession-proof, because McDonald's makes money when you are poor and miserable. As I mentioned earlier, McDonald's makes far more money through real estate than it does through burgers. A basic advantage of this is that not only does McDonald's make bank through fees and rent costs, but McDonald's also hardly pays any tax. Because by being a real estate company, it means recessions drive real estate depreciation. This then becomes a tax deduction for McDonald's. McDonald's then also uses royalties from its franchising process to avoid paying $1 billion in tax than it otherwise should have done. But then during such a recession, McDonald's will swoop in and buy up depreciated property. But the best part of all is that recessions make for miserable, desperate customers. With standard of living sinking, inflation skyrocketing, wages stagnating, prices rising, atomization, depression, misery burgeoning, this then prompts a desperate influx of customers to McDonald's as a last resort. A last resort for the silent forgotten majority who realize their economic future has been sold down the river, having to move into pods that are plagued with water streak stains and infested with moss all to compete with the rest of the drones as a service industry minimum wage slave. Squabbling to work for McDonald's, squabbling to eat at McDonald's in dystopian metropolises just to fill five minutes of cheap happiness. Okay, so McDonald's is recession-proof, but what's so bad about all of this? Well, let's take a quick look over the last 50 years. In January 1971, McDonald's would introduce McDonaldland, a world of imagination, wonder, obesity, and disease. The advert was a hit, manipulating the hearts and minds of children to munch on McDonald's. And soon enough, Ronald McDonald became a household name. He was relentlessly stuffed down children's throats through cartoons, video games, TV, and films. And all of this marketing to children worked wonders for McDonald's. So they would start to take this marketing to a new level with the creation of the Happy Meal, a genius meal box with cheap toys to lure children into getting addicted to the McDonald's menu for life. Children would squabble cheek by cheek to get the best toy. Marketing to children attracted to mass-produced 
used muck who were too young to eat with their mouths and instead eat with their eyes. And this marketing in particular worked extremely well, doubling and even tripling McDonald's's average weekly sales. But most importantly, this addicted a generation of children to McDonald's, clogging the arteries and colons of millions with their addictive recipes. Recipes loaded with sugar and saturated fats. Recipes that led to disease, despair and depression. In the words of Theodore Dalrymple, I deplore McDonald's's disgusting products and despise the childish and garish decor of their canteens. They detract from the quality of our civilization. Adding that, if someone were to tell me that children love these restaurants, I should reply, but that is precisely why it should be a criminal offense. And look, most of us already know this by now. We all know that McDonald's is bad for you. But what you might not know is that the growth of McDonald's has a very strong correlation to the growth in obesity. According to the World Health Organization's data, there is a strong worldwide correlation between obesity and the number of McDonald's restaurants. Now, why is this the case? Well, the most basic answer would be that McDonald's is unhealthy. Since the late 90s, people woke up to the realization that a fast food heavy diet would ruin your life. And in recent years, Ronald McDonald is associated as a creepy, eerie symbol of America's nihilistic, materialistic consumption. And that's why in response to this, McDonald's began to reshape their image, refurbishing their restaurants and promoting McDonald's salads to appear somewhat healthy. But the public mostly saw through this, and in the last decade, McDonald's went on to close hundreds of locations, a big setback for the McDonald's real estate empire. Until now, where as we sink into recession, McDonald's begins to shine. But is the whole picture really this clear cut? Is it just that when people are poor and recession is near, McDonald's grows? Or is there perhaps another layer to this equation? Because McDonald's isn't only eaten by poor people, and poor people don't have to eat McDonald's. Almost all of us know that McDonald's is toxic, and yet, we've started to consume more and more of it. So what's actually behind all of this? Well, in the last few years, we've been bathed in a culture of hedonism. The mainstream media promotes morbid obesity. We see women's magazines like Cosmopolitan promoting obesity as a healthy lifestyle choice. Ads promoting beach bodies are removed. Weighing scales are removed from universities. And we are soaked by a sewer pipe of obscene, tawdry hedonism that makes our society value short-term gratification over the long term. Never in history has our instant gratification impulses received so much authoritative support. In addition, the breakdown of family and community has resulted in large portions of children eating with a family member less than once a week. Instead of coming together to eat with the family, children and adults are now constant grazers. The new dining room is the bedroom. And when you have a generation of people who are raised by celebrities living vicariously through other people's stories, manipulation becomes easy. Which is why since 2020, McDonald's has been aligning itself with celebrities, partnering up with people like BTS and Travis Scott, plasting celebrity faces onto its junk. This hasn't happened in over 30 years, but now McDonald's is radically changing its marketing, which has allowed McDonald's to surpass its pre-pandemic sales. And then compounded by deep economic recession, stagnating wages and rapid inflation, and it all starts to make sense why McDonald's is recession-proof. Because McDonald's isn't just recession-proof because of its real estate business model. McDonald's isn't just making bank from franchising its estate. McDonald's is true money comes when a population is wading in a swamp of anguish and despair, imposed by a culture that has ruined their economic prosperity, ruined their long-term gratification, destroyed their communities, and broken their families. A culture that never seeks to uplift, to enrich your life with meaning and purpose. A culture that instead seeks to fatten you up and drag you down. 
where you're buried under an avalanche of poison junk that provides you only with a quick dopamine hit and long-lasting addiction, where your role models are used to manipulate your primal senses into feasting on junk food, where your economy and culture has been desecrated under a crony capitalist system that eviscerates your health and well-being. That's when you see McDonald's grow. So over the next year, as we're plunged into a deep recession, look out for McDonald's. Look out to see the rushing crowd squabbling for McDonald's, because only then will McDonald's's recession-proof business model begin to make sense. Only then can you understand why the McDonald's arches are more recognizable than Jesus Christ. Now here's a word from the video sponsor, Masterworks. Go through a dart at a dartboard filled with stocks. Congratulations, you've probably outperformed most financial advisors. According to the S&P Global, 94% of fund managers couldn't beat their respective S&P indices. Most of these fund managers spend their 9 to 5 managing their portfolios, probably have an Ivy League education, and drop millions on research products. So how does the average investor even have a chance to get better than average returns? Well, you might go for alternative assets. You know, things like real estate, little-known cryptos, hedge funds, and private equity. But there's one alternative asset that most investors are overlooking. It's been quietly outpacing the S&P by 164% from 1995 to 2021 and almost doubled the appreciation of real estate gold and 90% of cryptos out there. What is it? Contemporary art. But here's the catch. Not many people have millions of dollars laying around to buy a Picasso, so contemporary art has been off limits to average investors. That is, until now. Masterworks, our sponsor, allows people like you and me to invest in the same artworks the ultra-wealthy have access to. Here's how it works. Masterworks acquires multi-million dollar paintings with their own capital. Then they file the painting with the SEC, which allows them to securitize the painting. I also learned that Masterworks just received $110 million in Series A funding, making them the first art investment unicorn. And luckily for you, my channel has partnered with Masterworks. So I'm working with Masterworks.io so that you can skip their waitlist and get priority access. Just click the link in the description below. Are you happy for hip hop right now? Like what you see? I love the culture, but what's, what what it looks like is that the technical process surrounded it has surrounded it so that the only the only people who really benefit off of the culture are the algorithms. The more the more you become an adult, you realize that I'm a fucking adult. I'm not I'm not sitting here, I'm not listening to all of these things. Why? For the artists that I do like, how much time? If I'm trying to develop myself as a useful human being, do I have to sit and be in a fucking tame? And if I'm gonna just be sitting there opening myself up to be, to be listening to some shit, what is it doing for me? You know, what did I learn at the end of this? So like what beauty was expressed to, you know, skill, the technical efficiency and uh, any of that shit. Get quite worried about me. He was like, Ashling, you're going to have to get out of the house during the day. And I was like, Doc, I'd love to, but my naps are not going to take themselves. <laughs> Saws. Um, but my, uh, my mother was equally worried. She was like, Ashling, just try and get out of the house and maybe do some exercise. Build up your strength and your muscle. Do a bit of exercise. But I actually find it highly offensive that my mother would suggest that I do exercise because she knows that I actually suffer from a terrible disability which prevents me from doing any exercise, which is where I can't, um, I can't uh, be out.
arsed. I can't be arsed. <laughs> I really just can't be arsed. I just kind of can't be. And I would love to be arsed. I would love to be one of those people who's naturally arsed to do things, but I just sort of can't be. And I mean, my, my, my disability affects me in so many ways. Um, my ability to clean the bottom of the dustbin, uh, ring my aunties back at Christmas. Um, I, I would love to, but I just sort of can't be arsed to. <laughs> Unfortunately. I mean, I just don't like moving too much. I would sort of rather sit on the couch and waste away than move. I don't really like moving too much. I don't even listen to sad music in case I'll be moved. That's just sort of bad. And I think the reason that I don't like exercise is because the school I went to didn't have much money. So the sports facilities weren't great. And so a lot of the sort of sport and exercise we used to do used to leave us really uh, pregnant, really pregnant. <laughs> so the habit's just not there. It, it really isn't. And I would, love to be, I would love to be into exercise and stuff, but I just can't be arsed, I'll be honest. <laughs> I did um, uh, get tricked into going to Pilates class because I thought it was pronounced pilots. Um, I was there for about 15 minutes going, I wonder when they're going to let us fly the planes. <laughs> um, my friend Brona suggested that I do something social like ping pong table tennis. Ping pong, I mean, I just, the ball moves too fast. I can never see it. To me, ping pong just looks like two perverts spanking a ghost. <laughs> just don't understand it. Um, my flatmate Steph, is American. She's American and she's always doing this thing called running. Ru running. Has anyone here ever heard of running? For those of you who don't know what running is, it's something that you would naturally do only when you're being chased. <laughs> and I don't understand it. Steph is always just going for a run. She's always just going for a run. Unless I'm being chased by something terrible, there's no natural panic in my legs that makes me want to go any faster than this. A sort of whimsical saunter. That's kind of grand by me. But Steph's always just heading out the door, going for a run. Hey, I'm just gonna go for a run. Go for a run. I'm just gonna go for a run. Steph gets such a buzz out of going for a run that two days later, she'll do it again. <laughs> No, but I, I do, I still have fond memories, being a teen, sat around with my mates, throwing topics at each other to do like freestyle rhymes about, you know, and it, if anyone would uh, offer, offer, like maybe suggest police, huh? the P word, yeah, guaranteed someone would jump up like, yo, no, no, check this out, check this out, yo, 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 I just want to live my life, but feds keep watching me. Yeah. <laughs> Every second man police are clocking me. So many times I get this in a day. Somebody tell me why they discriminate. <laughs> I'm on my way to a weed cell. <laughs> Got the drugs in the car by the knife, no seatbelt. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. No wing mirror, no license. And my nephew taught me how to drive this. <laughs> Cocaine and a big glass of rum too. Shoot my gun in the air through the sunroof. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. Oh man, I don't believe this. <laughs> Prejudice policeman, what's the reason? <laughs> yo, yo. My gun, my knife, my drugs, you wanna take? My bootleg DVDs, you confiscate? I 
now I can't drink and drive? Why won't these pigs let me live my life? Like, mm, 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 you know, because, you know, I'm amongst friends here. And they're looking at me for some kind of response, you know. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I don't know what to say. So I'm stood there like an idiot going, yeah. Yeah, bro. <laughs> Bloody police. <laughs> oh. Clamping down on illegal activity. I'm not mad at nobody. People got to do whatever they feel is best. But the culture has been strong on its own from yes. day one, you know? That's from, you know, Newsweek covering breakdancing in 84. It was always the deal. I was never big on being like a celebrity because that just confuses the issue. I do have a public profile. But I also recognize and never forget that the reason I have a public profile is the work. So that's what I put out front. All of the other shit, like, you know, the here and there and the movements, all of, that's cool. But the only reason that we up here talking is because I do this and I get busy as an artist. And that should be at the center of it. All of the other hair salon, barbershop <laughs> shit is for there. now for nearly 10 years but you know when you first get together with somebody uh, the first six months especially if you have an inkling it might be a long-term thing and those first six months together are just glorious aren't they and you think each other are perfect and then after six months you think well perfect's pushing it a bit <laughs> a couple of things I could do were changing then you've got a project isn't it lovely having a project <laughs> project there's only one thing I'd like to change about my fella I need to tell you this first uh, I love waving. I don't know why. I've always loved waving. I love it when I wave and I love it when people wave back to me. I'm going to wave to you now and see how many of you wave back. Oh, loads of you are. Thank you very much. It makes me really happy. And it's one of the main reasons I learned to drive. <laughs> My fella doesn't wave. doesn't occur to him in the slightest. Now, when we first got together, he dropped me off at the train station one day and I got out the car and I said, I'll see you on Monday. He said, yeah, but I'll give you a ring when I get in tonight. I said, smashing. And then I just checked that I was at the right entrance for the train station for my particular platform and I turned to give him a little wave goodbye and the car was already in the distance. <laughs> a few years later, I was going to Australia for the first time. I was travelling alone. I was going to be away for six weeks. I was very nervous, understandably. He dropped me off at the airport. He helped me out of the boat. With my case, sorry, that's bad. With my case, with my case. And I said, I'm going to miss you. And he said, I'm going to miss you too. But he said, you're going to have an amazing time. We can Skype whenever you like. And I'll come and get you in six weeks on this very spot. Melt. Melt. And I checked my handbag to make sure I had my passport and my ticket. And then I turned to give him a little wave goodbye. And I could not see the car. <laughs> it was already on the motorway. <laughs> I said to him only a few weeks ago, you know the waving thing? He said, oh, did I forget to do it again? I'm sorry. I said, don't worry about it. But I said, you know how much I love it? He said, yes, I know how much you love to wave. <laughs> I said, I was just wondering if there was like a bargaining thing. 
we could do. He said, I don't know what you mean. I said, well, for example, is there anything I don't do that you'd like me to start doing? <laughs> Turns out I'm not as bothered about waving as I thought. Weird, isn't it? The more technologically advanced our forms of communication get, the more pointless the subject matter seems to be. You, when you think about it, you would never tweet someone something important or relevant, would you? You would never tweet someone to inform them of a death in the family. Be a bit harsh. Dad's dead. Hashtag fail. <laughs> I was on Twitter once, right? I know it's largely pointless, and this story sums it up, right? I was on Twitter once, and I thought I'd invented a new breakfast. This is what I did. I took a photo of it, and I sent it out, because that's what you've got to do. That's the rule. You've got food. You take a photo, you send it out, or that didn't happen, right? I've made this invention, this breakfast, and I thought, I wonder if anyone out there has had this. Now, if you are going to take a photo of some food and claim to have invented a new food, research it first before you put it on the internet, because they will let you know quickly <laughs> if they're not happy with it. This is what I did. I got two bits of brown bread, and I toasted them. Put them on a plate, forming the basis of two breakfast towers. I started building, thusly, beans, beans, cheese, cheese. So far, so standard. Curveball, fried egg, fried egg. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> I'm now fully aware I hadn't invented anything, right? But I knew I hadn't changed the world. I knew I hadn't cured a disease. But I thought, has anyone out there in the world of Twitter had these things in this order? Turns out, a lot of angry people had. <laughs> a lot of angry people. I've got, my, I've got hundreds of replies, re abuse all day. I've got my top three favorite replies here. I'm over it, but I carry them round in my pocket. <laughs> in at number three, all capital letters, bean-eating prick. <laughs> I mean, I'm a human being. Is there any need? <laughs> it's always nice to hear from a fan, though. <laughs> in at number two, a teenage girl wrote, you haven't invented anything. I have that every week, but without the cheese. That's the whole point in an invention. We well, have that every week, but it's fudge. Well, <laughs> in a number one, this sums up the internet. This reply. This came in straight away. Straight away, it was the first reply. The anger, the fury, the immediacy of it. All capitals. Eggs should have been poached. I can tell you what your spirit animal is, Joe. It's a walrus. Well, what do I do with this information, Janet? <laughs> this is useless. And she said, walrus will talk to you and tell you to do things, and you should listen to that inner voice, to that inner walrus. I shouldn't listen to my inner voice, because it is normally things like, kick that toddler, just a stream. <laughs> unacceptable things. But she kept saying, listen to the voice, and then she said, I do normally charge for this service. It is normally £30, but as we're at a party, I do it for half price, I do it for 15 I was like, Walrus says you can piss off. <laughs> but um, the next day I found this walrus ring online by chance, after searching four hours for one. <laughs> and since I've been wearing it, friends of mine think that it has changed me. They think that I go into myself at social occasions, and it's me going, what did you say, walrus? <laughs> Could possibly kill another prostitute? You know, silly things. <laughs> but I, I've noticed that walrus comes out with real jobs worths. I don't know if you have this in London. In Birmingham, we have an app 
where you can pay for parking on the app and you don't have to buy a ticket. I tried it for the first time. You put a location code in, put the code in, went into a nearby coffee shop, had just got my coffee, and a parking enforcement officer was next to my car. That's what they called themselves, with his little computer with a pen on a string in case I drop it, dickhead. <laughs> it was putting my details in. So I went out to him, I said, I've paid for parking. Look, I've got a receipt on my phone. It was eight minutes ago. And he looked at it and he went, no. This location code is for Leeds. And I said, well, I've clearly just made a mistake, haven't I? And he went, well, I don't know that, do I? I was like, yes, you do. <laughs> because if I'm lying, then what you're suggesting I've done is parked in Leeds <laughs> and then driven 120 miles in eight minutes. That's what you're suggesting I've done. <laughs> I've put it into the computer now. You'll have to complain at the office. It's only five minutes down the road. Actually, it's about three seconds in my hypercar. <laughs> Got to the office, met Sweaty Sharon. Oh, my God. It was, it was so hot in that office. She looked like a bit of wet scrambled egg in a chair, just... <laughs> so annoyed with life. And she had a thick Brummie accent as well. She was talking to somebody in the back office when I went in. She was going, is that Yao making me a cup of taste, Dave? And then she looked at me and went, the day I hear Steve making me a cup of tea is the day I hear a rocking horse do a plop. <laughs> That's the weirdest imagery I've ever heard. <laughs> for a start. And I explained the situation to her, gave her the phone and everything. And she looked at the phone, looked at her computer, back at the phone, and she went, this says loops. <laughs> I know, Sharon, I put the wrong code in. Well, you'll have to complain at the Leeds office. I've not been in Leeds, Sharon. <laughs> she looks again and she's like, but how did you get here so quickly? <laughs> you would have had to break the speed limit. I would have had to break the speed of sound, Sharon. <laughs> so annoyed, so annoyed. I said, is there anyone else I can talk to about this? She said, you could speak to Steve over there. I decided not to speak to Steve for a number of reasons. The main one being, he was trying to eat a yoghurt with a pen lid. I just didn't feel <laughs> like he was competent. You get a sense sometimes, don't you? So in the end, I just had to leave, kept the fine, paid it. Still got it to this day. And after I'd left, Walrus was like, you idiot. You could have done anything in there. You could have killed her. <laughs> the perfect alibi. Where were you when the murder happened? <laughs> you know, people have to remember, man, when people get... All precious about the anthem. Okay, great. The anthem is a song. Okay? It represents something, but it's a song. And if it's a song that don't represent, if, if what's happening in, on the ground is not representing that, and somebody says, until what's happening on the ground represents that, I'm a chill. That's the First Amendment, right? up in Scotland that was won by the No campaign and Alistair Darling. I thought it'd be good if when he won, Alistair Darling's eyebrows had finally turned into butterflies. <laughs> and he wasn't even able to look surprised about it. <laughs> David Beckham sent the people of Scotland an open letter. An open letter because he couldn't work out how to get it into the envelope. People said during the campaign that I was anti-English. I couldn't be more pro-English. <laughs> <laughs>
I thought the best thing for independence would have been if England had won the World Cup. Because you would have been so unbearable that we would have to leave. <laughs> Whatever happens next, I think it's important that Scotland does something that puts England on the back foot, something that England won't expect. And the last thing that you're expecting is for us to form an Islamic caliphate. <laughs> ah, yes, independent Scotland, we can do this. <laughs> OK, we'll have to learn how to treat women slightly better, but we can change. <laughs> I think people don't understand enough about international politics, do they? In Scotland, people think that NATO is just a nickname you give to a guy who lost a foot to diabetes. <laughs> Keep up. <laughs> Ed Miliband came up for the referendum. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I don't think Ed Miliband will win the election. Because if he can't persuade his own face to do what he tells it to... <laughs> Miliband said he wanted to militarise the Scottish border. Can you imagine being a Scottish border guard, having to do cavity searches just to keep your hands warm? <laughs> Holding back the English refugees at Newcastle. <laughs> Newcastle being the first city in history that turned into a refugee camp and got less mental. Well, things are actually a lot more civilised now that we're ruled over by a horse militia. You know what people in Scotland want? What they really want, in my experience, is they want transport to run normally in the winter through three feet of snow. That's all they ever moan about. Why isn't this train moving through the snow? <laughs> but what you really want is for the pilot to come over the intercom and go, well, I've been told that it's not safe to take off, but I thought, let's give it a go. <laughs> my favourite food is canapes. Oh, I love canapes. Canapes is the French word for hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> love canapes. But the only problem with canapes is you, go, you only get them at parties, right? And they're almost counterproductive to the party atmosphere. Because the whole idea of a party is you're supposed to be mingling and meeting people. Hello, how are you? But you can't concentrate if there's canapes in the room. <laughs> Those silver trays of treats be to being taken around. You, oh, you, oh. <laughs> I mean, you're in a conversation because you have to be. Oh, you know, yes, that's interesting. Oh, he's five now, is he? That's fascinating. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Oh, oh, they're new. They're new. Huh? Sorry. Because <laughs> you've always got to keep one eye on the canopies, haven't you? because you don't want to miss your turn. Oh, that's a horrible feeling when you're talking to some prick about schools. <laughs> yeah, yeah, public or private, that's the thing, isn't it? Oh, for, oh shut up! <laughs> that's the mini beef Wellingtons. We've just... Could you, could you bloody shut up when the canopies arrive, you prick? That's the bit, they're the best ones, the mini beef Wellingtons. Just shut up when the canopies arrive. It's the only reason we're here. I don't give a shit what school your kid goes to. 
so many beef wellingtons. Gone. Because <laughs> you can't chase a canopy. <laughs> can't do that undignified walk, you know, that's... Sorry. <laughs> sorry, he was talking, so I missed... Can I just get the... Can I, can, sorry, can I just get the... The other, the other thing with canopies is, and you know this, you've always got to act surprised when they come. <laughs> Don't you? You have to do, oh, I didn't, oh! <laughs> because that's the rules. You can't wait for canopies. You can't just stand there at a party like that. You can't. <laughs> yeah, good, good, honey, go on. <laughs> You've got to pretend to be in a conversation, and yes, that's very... Oh, she's 11 now. Well, that is... Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know there was going to be food. Did you know there was going to be food? I had no idea. There's food. Look at that. That's great, isn't it? Food, I do. What a lovely surprise. You're not surprised. You've been tracking the bloody thing for 20 minutes. <laughs> you know every stop it's made. You know how many have been taken. <laughs> You've been making the mental calculations in your head, right? Oh, that's right, okay, we should be all right with the sausage rolls. They've just come out. I'm not so sure about the volivons and the quiche. This guy's been really greedy, this guy. Stop and just, honestly, I bet you better not eat too many of those quiche. And then we, well, we've obviously missed the many beef wellingtons because you knew. But we're going to be all right with the ham and the cheese, and here they come now. So anyway, anyway, school. Oh! <laughs> the flags and the statues could come down, but will the behaviour change? people's customs change with how they treat somebody who's not like them change we could do all of the things with the symbolic thing that's cool okay keep going right keep going you took the statue down now take the hate down in yourself take it out because it ain't working the flags and the statues could come down but will their behavior change Will people's customs change with how they treat somebody who's not like them change? We could do all of the things with the symbolic thing. That's cool. Okay. Keep going. Right? Keep going. You took the statue down. Now, take the hate down in yourself. Take it out. Because it ain't working. You know, people have to remember, man, when people get... A lot of boring math later. All precious about... The anthem, okay, great. The anthem is a song. Right? It represents something, but it's a song. And if it's a song that don't represent, if, if what's happening in, on the ground is not representing that, and somebody says, until what's happening on the ground represents that, I'm a chill. That's their First Amendment right. Other issues, the fucking flags and symbols, y'all still on that shit, gang signs, you know, politics, it's crazy, you know what I'm saying? Over here claiming sets, and everybody broke. The food ain't even real food. We got issues, you know, shit to be thinking about. You talked about water and food. Fuck yeah, you the kids gotta eat to live. You gotta eat to live. That you supposed to be feeding your kids. My son took out all this land. I'm concerned about that. Fuck the whatever. These niggas make a suit out of it. Rock, rock out. You know what I'm saying? 
That's what you wanna do on a Friday night? Go for it. What's up with what's coming out the earth? What's up with what's in the air? You know, what's, what's, what is coming into our bodies through this technology? How is it changing our brains? How we process information? How we deal with each other? weren't even really a lot of songs to begin with on this one but here is our last song for the day this is uh called all talk by kid cuddy featuring christian bale think for one fucking second that the fuck are you doing are you professional or not no no don't shut me up You're another language. Yes, relapse when I fuck with Jemison. I think about death like it's pussy on my mind and the vibe, and I'm feeling like life's so lame. Heaven's probably iller with way more babes, way more ways to get faded. My first album was even was the fuck. Cats tried to play me, now I gotta show them what is what. I'm the one who comes when you're feeling so numb. You're the one who runs, so I'm the one who hunts you. Both try to run, but it's so fun to confront you. I am the rager, I am forever. Half of the time, most of the time I'm blunted If I die, it wouldn't all be for nothing Now in my life, I'm doing what I want it So I'm living in the moment till God puts the button on me mm, These niggas all talk hey, mm, These niggas all talk hey. Over here we ain't half-stepping Over here we ain't half-stepping mm, These niggas all talk mm, These niggas all talk hey. Over here we ain't half-stepping Over here we ain't half-stepping Take your bitch home with us I'm hot and cold But never lukewarm The niggas always talking about What they can do for them I'm Prince I came Royal penis stay clean All the shit I've seen You can only daydream Running my city since I was 18 The coldest of fuck What I hate to make think Chilling on the higher side of the clouds Life was nothing like life is now Just wanna have a couple dollars on deck And change their perspective I'ma aim for the neck In the club I see you niggas Jumping up and down sweating Only for attention Pathetic, you only paid $1,200 for that old school name dropping ass nigga. Don't nobody know you. Mm -hmm. These niggas all talk. Mm -hmm. These niggas all talk. Mm -hmm. Over here we ain't half stepping. Over here we ain't half stepping. Mm -hmm. These niggas all talk. Mm -hmm. These niggas all talk. Mm -hmm. Over here we ain't half stepping. Over here we ain't half stepping. Show you how to do this lame nigga, uneducated nigga, I can show you how to do this lame nigga. 
and the statues could come down, but will their behavior change? Will people's customs change? Will how they treat somebody who's not like them change? We could do all of the things with the symbolic thing. That's cool. Okay, keep going, okay? Keep going. You took the statue down, now take the hate down in yourself. Take it out, because it ain't working. Other issues, the fucking flags and symbols, y'all still on that shit, gang signs, you know, politics, it's crazy, you know what I'm saying? Over here claiming sets, and everybody broke. The food ain't even real food. We got issues, you know, shit to be thinking about. You talked about water and food. Fuck yeah, you the kids gotta eat to live. You gotta eat to live. They supposed to be feeding your kids. My son took out all this land. I'm concerned about that. Fuck the f whatever. You nigga, make a suit out of it. You rock, rock out. You know what I'm saying? That's what you want to do on a Friday night. Go for it. What's up with what's coming out the earth? What's up with what's in the air? You know? What's, what's, what is coming into our bodies through this technology? How is it changing our brains? How we process information? How we deal with each other? 